I feel like the service is upside down tonight. We've already had the altar call. Presence of the Lord has come. Yes, thank you, Lord. But that's that's the way it needs to be because our prayer is, Jesus, you've got to come. Holy Spirit, you have to come. You have to do the work among us that only you can do. And if we are honestly inviting Christ into the center core of his people at this time, we have to be prepared for him to do his work his way and prepared for our, our present order to be upside down. And thank God for it. That's all I can say. Thank God. Thank God for what he's doing. So I'm in the position tonight of telling the young people here what just happened to you. Something happened and something is happening, young and old. It's something that God himself is doing at this time. And he's doing it for a specific reason. I found it interesting that he gave me this word. And I've been meditating on it for probably another day and a half or so. And to see the actual fulfillment of it tonight before even getting up to speak it. I want to talk to you this evening about the year that King Uzziah died. The year that King Uzziah died. It's in Isaiah chapter 6 if you have a Bible and you want to follow along or you have some kind of a, a similar device. So, Father, I just want to thank you. God, with all my heart, I just thank you, Lord, that you will have a church in this last generation. You will have a testimony. There will be a supernaturally empowered generation that will rise up and have a fresh revelation of you and bring you once again to the people in power and in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you tonight, God, for the opportunity to stand in this pulpit. And as always, I, I bring you the littleness of my own life. And I ask, Lord, that you would multiply it. You would speak to every heart. My voice is limited, but yours can create a universe. So speak to every heart, my God, in whatever way you have to tonight, speak to every heart. Help the people that are here, God, in Jesus' name, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. All of us, Lord, lift us where we need to be lifted out of and into what we need to be into. Thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. For if you don't anoint these words, it just becomes more learning and human effort trying to build a kingdom we can't even see. Give me great grace and give the hearers, including myself, great grace to hear the word tonight. In Jesus' name. Let me, let me start this evening with a story. It was about 15 or so years ago, and uh, David Wilkerson had been estranged, in a sense, from the Assemblies of God for various reasons for, for quite a long time. And in order to make amends, I guess, or to try to be reconciled, they invited him to be the keynote speaker in one service for the Assemblies of God, New York State and beyond. So there was a, quite a large church in New York City, and pastors came from all over the place. I mean, the place was packed out, hundreds, if not in the thousands of pastors. And they came to hear David Wilkerson. This was a momentous moment in, in, for this particular church denomination. And he invited me, as he typically did, to go with him. And we're sitting together in the front row just before his introduction, and he leans over to me and he says, do you have a word stirring in your heart? And I thought he meant Sunday morning. I, had a, I said, yeah, I got a thought. And he just nodded. So he was introduced, and he got up into the pulpit, and he said, it's a, I'm, I'm really honored that, 
that you would have me here tonight, or today rather, and he says, I'm honored. He said, but I, I really don't think I'm the man that should be speaking. And I'm sitting in my seat going, oh, oh, no, 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 no. This can't be happening. This is not happening. You ever, I used to have a recurring dream years ago that the curtain would rise at Times Square Church and I'd step up the pulpit and I forgot to prepare for the service and it was time to preach. I don't know if any other preachers ever have a dream like that. And, but this was actually happening. This was not a dream. And so he said, I brought my pastor here with me today, and he's a young man. The touch of God is on his life, and I really feel you need to hear from him. So he proceeds to introduce me. I don't even know where the scripture is that I, with the thought, I'm, I'm, I don't have my phone. I can't, I can't, I don't know if, I don't know if I could have Googled it if I would have had my phone, and I'm trying to figure, where is that scripture? That I was thinking on. And I'm, I'm scouring the book. You know I found it as I walked up the stairs. Wow. The, you know we sang that song tonight. We need to move. You know God. You, God says to you. I need you to move. Wow. I'm all, I'm, I've, I've never moved. I'm, I'm still where I always have been. I, I need you to get up and move towards me. I, I got up by strictly by faith. With a, a scripture verse and a thought. And, and I have a really hostile audience on my hands now. They are arm-folded, teeth-gritting. We didn't come here to hear you. We came here to hear David Wilkerson. But I got up with the thought that the Holy Spirit had put on my heart, spoke for maybe 25 minutes. And when I gave an altar call, there was hardly anybody left in their seats. There was weeping and crying out to God. There was, there was an absolute touch of heaven came down. So... Here's why I told you this story. Because tonight you're going to feel that way. Tonight there's some people sitting here, you're going to go, oh no, 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 no. Can't be me. No, no, it can't be me he's talking about. It can't be me that's being called forward. It can't be me that's being introduced. But the reality is, it is you. It is you at this time in history that we're now living in. Because we are living in a moment very similar to Isaiah chapter 6. It was in the year, I'm just going to read the beginning of verse 1, just part way through. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now it's really significant, this death of King Uzziah, because Uzziah represented a time of grandeur in the nation. Under Uzziah's leadership, Israel at that time, people of God at that time gained a worldwide reputation for, a renown in a sense, for becoming a people that were more than they were in themselves, for being given understanding, being given uh, amazing fame as it was throughout the known world of that time for a season, 52 years actually. Isaiah was 16 years of age when he came to the throne. He reigned for 52 years and, and those 52 years were Amazing years, where, where the nation of Israel at that time became almost the envy of the whole known world of, of that time. Very much like America. America started uh, essentially, let's talk about the Plymouth Brethren landing in Plymouth in 1620. 103 people aboard a ship, 104 actually, because one was born on the ship before they landed. And they, they landed here in America with nothing more than just a promise that God was bringing them to a place, to a nation, where they could worship Christ freely and according to conscience. And they believed it would be a nation where God's name, the name of his son Jesus Christ, would be brought to glory, even though they were feeble, they were weak, they had no strategy, they had no plan. As a matter of fact, of the 103 that landed, only 51 remained alive after the end of the first year. They gathered in a little house, which is now called Lot Number 1 America, 
It's just about 20 feet by 20 feet. The 51 that were left, they were half starved. They were surrounded by enemies. The future looked very bleak. And they prayed. And they they prayed something like this. I don't know the exact prayer, but it was like this. Lord, you gave us a promise. And you said it would not be by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And we don't have the strength to do this. We are surrounded by enemies. We don't even know how to feed ourselves. But you gave us a promise. And so based on that promise, we've yielded our lives to see this promise fulfilled. And you and I know the story from 51 people that met in a 20 by 20 room. Now a nation of over 330 million people. A nation that was marvelously helped by the presence of God. A nation that has not been perfect, but there's always been, at least till the present, a willingness to be corrected by God. A willingness to hear the voice of God. And this country became the envy of the world. That's why people are still willing to cross oceans and rivers to get here. Because there's a fame that was brought to this nation not by our might or our power, but by the fact that God established it as a nation. And he made a covenant with those early settlers that came here 400 years ago. Uzziah, the scripture says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. That means he sought God in the days where there was a priesthood that actually stood and proclaimed the truth of the word of God. Not a priesthood that was trying to make the people feel good, but a priesthood that spoke for God. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And the scripture says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. He went out and he fought wars against the Philistines. He was given the power to break down walls that had been erected to try to overcome the nation. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabians, and over others. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. You know, there was a season just not long ago where we were the only superpower left in the world. Have you noticed how fast that has dissipated? How much we are losing now this presence of God in the nation. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate. He built towers in the desert. He dug wells. He had many cows and much livestock in the lowlands and in the plains. He had also farmers and vine dressers in the mountains. In other words, the, the produce, the land produced produce, and there was more than enough food. While others may have had a scarcity in other places throughout the known world at that time, there was no scarcity among the people of God. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies, and this, <clears throat> this army was 375,000, and they made war with mighty power. To help the king against the enemy. Uzziah was given the ability to prepare for the entire army. Shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings, and stones to cast. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and corners to shoot arrows and large stones. And his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And you think of, of this nation, for example, where we've, we've had aircraft that are the envy of the known world. We've been given abilities. And it was, of course, the atomic bomb was developed here uh, near the end of World War II in the United States. Incredible devices and abilities that were given to this nation. And there's nobody with a sound mind who could even debate the fact that this nation has been marvelously helped, marvelously helped up to this point. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction 
He transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And this is, this is what happened to Uzziah. He, he, he succumbed, in a sense, to that inner sinful nation that was sown by the devil himself in the Garden of Eden. And the seed that was sown in humanity is that you can be God without God. You can be godly without God. You can become an arbiter, a judge of what is good and what is evil. And, and because he had had such prosperity for so long, he'd been so marvelously helped. His, he, he got to the point of thinking he could do no wrong, or, or maybe this way, he could do wrong without consequence. And so Uzziah went into the temple of God, and what he tried to do is he actually became his own Messiah, his own, savior, his own priest. And he went in and he attempted to change the rules of God, change the laws of God, as we have done in this nation by changing the definition of marriage, by changing the definition of, of morality, of male, female, of gender, of, of, of confusing our children in our schools. We, we, we as a nation, I'm saying as a nation, have done exactly what Isaiah has done and brought ourselves, in a sense, to a place where we, we've erroneously thought that we can defy the laws of God, and not suffer a consequence. How foolish we are. The only thing it proves is that we don't learn from history. We haven't learned that there is a consequence. The wages of sin is still death. It does Nothing has changed. Death to homes, death to marriages, death to civility, death to society, death to our military, death to our, com, our economy. And we're seeing this ever-increasing death. Now, Uzziah... As he went in, there were 80 priests that stood to resist him. And as the scripture says, he was angry, became furious with them. And while he was angry with them, leprosy broke out on his forehead. He became diseased in his mind. And what they had to do is they actually had to hide him from the people. Although he was still the king, they had to hide him from the people. And somebody else behind the scenes was leading the nation now. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about it. Think deeply about what we are now experiencing as a nation. Now, the significance of this moment is God did in that moment what he always does. You know, in the the book of Ezekiel, uh, there's a portion in Ezekiel where he talks about the nation from the top to the bottom. There's just rot everywhere. There was rot in government. There was rot in the ministry. There was rot among the people. It went all the way down to the bottom And you look at this particular analysis of the nation and you would say, well, surely that nation deserved to be judged. But what did God say? I sought for a man. I sought for a man. This is the pattern of God. This is this is the mercy moment of God. I I sought for somebody. You know, the irony of it all is that in Ezekiel's day, he couldn't find anybody. Not one person in the most religious nation on the face of the earth still believed that God would show mercy. Everybody was in tune with the fact that we deserve judgment. We've failed. We've fallen. And perhaps there's nobody left that has any ounce of understanding that God doesn't take the wise. He doesn't take the mighty. He doesn't take the noble. He doesn't take the strong. What does the scripture tell us? He takes the weak and the foolish and the nobodies and the nothings of society to bring to nothing everything that stands against truth in its own strength. That has always been the pattern of God in the year that Uzziah died. Now, a lot of people, what makes this significant is I think there's a lot of people that maybe hoped that Uzziah could be healed and come back to power because they had known such blessing under his leadership. But it wasn't to be. If I can paraphrase it, it might say this. In the year that hope died, 
in the year that we became aware that nothing, at least on a secular level, is going to change, in the year that it seemed, Acts 27, the ship was falling apart and we were going to lose it. Everything we trusted on the journey was about to come undone. In the year that hope died, something unusual happened. I saw the Lord. A young man called Isaiah. He, he, like the young people here tonight, he'd been involved in ministry. He'd been raised in the ways of God. He was already actually speaking for God in some measure. But it was in the year that hope died that suddenly this young man is lifted up sovereignly into the presence of God. And what he saw was absolutely amazing. He said the Lord literally filled the place. His robe, his train filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. How would you like to be there tonight? So I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, <coughs> Excuse me, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? You can imagine he's there and he's the only one in the room who's undone. He's the only one who needs redemption. None of these creatures with six wings or four wings or three wings, whatever they had. None of them need redemption. They're all moving in complete unison with God. You notice that the, the Lord didn't have to tell the seraphim to go to the altar and take a coal. The seraphim moved in unison because he, he, he knew, this created creature knew the mercy of God. He knew the moment that Isaiah acknowledged his condition. Not only his, but the condition of all people. All of his boasting was suddenly fell to the ground. His self-image was destroyed. The, the image of God's people being the most religious people on the face of the earth was destroyed. And he said, God, we're finished if you come down to us in your present form, who's going to be able to stand? David the king saw this when he wrote. He said, Lord, if you dealt with us according to our iniquities, who could stand? I'm undone. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. I've had that feeling. I had an experience with God one time in my youth, in my 20s, where I just felt if he didn't take his hand off me, I would die. It was a strange Strange fear. I'd known, I'd known a measure of fear as a police officer. I'd, I'd known what it was like to face knives or guns or violent situations, but never knew a fear like this. And it's a fear that is not a fear of this world. You know that if God doesn't take his hand off you, you're going to die, but you're not afraid to die at the same time. You feel strangely safe. I can't explain it. Although I fully understood Paul's words later on when he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. I know one day I have to stand in the presence of God again. And <clears throat> Isaiah stood there and he said, I'm undone. I'm unclean. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then suddenly in seeing himself, in seeing his unworthiness to be in the presence of God, his total otherness to the God who was before him, in seeing it, now he understood the the need of mercy, and God's willingness to supply the mercy. That's what's called grace. You don't know what grace is until you've needed it. 
It's only a word. It's just a five-letter word you study in Sunday school until you need the grace of God. Until you know you can't go forward. You can't get out from under something you're, that's on top of you. You can't, you can't alter a behavior that's in your mind, your heart, your life. You can't escape it and without grace. And then suddenly you just admit what you are. And the grace of God touches your life. And once he's come into a right understanding of, of who he is, he's, he's loved in the sight of God. He's cherished. He must have been standing there as I would be. Why are you bothering with me? You've got all these created beings. They're, they're worse. I can't even match their worship. I mean, when they worship, the doorposts shake. When they shout, holy, 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 the house fills with smoke. And I, I, I don't even, he must have felt I don't even want to sing. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I just, how can I add to this? This is perfection. These, these beings are amazing. Can you imagine you're there and this thing with six wings is hovering in the air above you. <clears throat> but when he finally comes into an understanding of his need of, of grace <clears throat> and God's willingness to provide grace, forgiveness and mercy, empowerment, cleansing, his, his willingness, his humility to call us into his work. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You, you go out of this church tonight, you find the most disadvantaged idiot you can find in all of Baton Rouge and partner with him or her, whoever it is, and say, you and I are partners from here on in. You, brag, you can talk about me all you want. You need me, I'll be there and I'll back you up and I'll say that I know you. And that's one billionth of the distance between you and I and God. No wonder the scripture says it's a mystery that angels desire to look into. The angels say, what is it about these people that you, that you, you care about? Them? What is it about these people that you reach down? Like, I mean, they're, they're so distant. You can hardly see them with heaven's binoculars. You can hardly see them. They're so far. But yet, they're the center of your affection. No wonder... When we get to heaven, if we have a thing that's a crown, no wonder there'd be like frisbees flying to the, the, I, I believe that they're, they're opaque. They're, they're, they're not, they're just like a rainbow over your head. You take it, you throw it, and another one appears, and you throw it, and another one appears, and you just keep throwing and say, I'm not worthy. And the, the Lord says, no, no, you're not, but I love you. I chose you. You're mine. You're, you're my trophy of grace. You're my trophy of grace forever. Forever. Forever you'll be the wonder of heaven. In all the galaxies or wherever it is that we travel to, we will be the wonder of God's grace that he set his affection upon us. And the interesting thing is, when Isaiah finally gets it right, and he finally realizes he's not really even worthy to be there apart from mercy, but mercy still is his portion, he starts to hear the voice of God. And that's what will happen to the young people that were here tonight. You'll start to hear the voice of God. And here's what the voice of God says. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And so, you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, if I was Isaiah, I would have said, send that thing with six wings. <laughs> you, come on now, come on now. Imagine if that thing appeared here and started preaching. Wouldn't we listen? You know, all around the room, you know. Telling us to repent and turn to God. Christ is coming soon. Everybody here would listen. I, and I guarantee the altar would be full. I guarantee it. And so Isaiah is the only one who's needed mercy. The only one who's needed cleansing. The only one who's needed redemption. And suddenly, 
Nobody is yelling, holy, holy, holy. Suddenly there's a silence, just like now. And nobody says anything. You know, a lot of people say that Isaiah is there now. He's jumping up and down. Here am I, send me. I don't think so. I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I'm sure of it. I think he's like, well, if nobody else will go, I'll go. For real. Because he would have been the least qualified to go and speak to the nation. He would have felt the smallest. He would have felt the, un, the unloveliest, the unworthiest. I know what this feels like. I was a police officer for uh, up till the, well, for quite a while, but I was saved at the age of 24. About two years later, I was visiting a Pentecostal church, uh, a little bit bigger than this one, and uh, I was sitting in the back. There had, had several sections. I was sitting close to the back with my wife, and the pastor preached a message, and at the end of the message, he, he <laughs> gave an altar call for people who wanted to give their whole life to Jesus, and like, go with Jesus. Serve like you did tonight, Pastor. And so I'm sitting at the back. I got a jeans, jean jacket, haven't shaved for three days. I, I live in a blood and guts world. Do you understand? I'm as cold as a stone. I could go to an accident scene, uh, draw chalk lines around bodies on the road and go eat my lunch. I didn't care. I cared about nothing. I didn't, I didn't like people. Uh, I couldn't speak. And nobody moved. Seven, eight hundred people. I'm thinking in the back, I'm staying in the back, I said, what's wrong with these people? They're raised in Christian homes, I wasn't, they all got nice suits on, I don't. They look like they got it all together, I don't have it all together. They know the books of the Bible, I, I know the Gospel of John in measure. Um, they have all the advantages that I've never had, and yet nobody is moving. So I understand Isaiah, I really do. I, I just, I, I felt a stirring in my heart. I said, God, but I had this inner fight in me. It's like, I got nothing to give you. Like on the scale of one to ten, I'm minus three. <laughs> and nobody moved. I, everybody just stood there in this strange silence. I thought, I remember thinking like, oh God, if I had all the advantages these people have, I, I would be there. And I, But I felt this, this, Go. Just this voice saying, go. In my heart. So I went. And it was just me and one other guy of about 800 people. We came down the aisle. He knelt there and I knelt over here on this side. And I wasn't given to weeping. But I started to cry. I put my head down and I, here's my prayer. I said, Jesus, I've got nothing to give you. If you need a bad temper, I've got that. Oh, I got that one down real good. I'm a lousy father if that's what you need. I'm not a very good husband. I'm selfish to the very core of my being. I said, God, I don't even like people. I don't have... I remember my prayers. I said, God, the little boy at least had some loaves and fishes to give you. I don't even have that. But if you can use nothing, then I give you nothing. Because that's all I've got. I said, all I have is a heart that wants you. I don't have anything. I can't speak publicly. I suffered from panic attacks for years. If, I, if I'm singled out, I'd have to run out of the room. I, I, was, I was really in negative territory. I just, there's no possibility that God, not God, but any, my life could ever amount to anything. And so I came. And now I've traveled the world. I've had the privilege of seeing 100,000 people come to Christ in one service alone, one time. 
I've spoken to governments. I've spoken to presidents. I've been in Hindu-Muslim prisons. I've been everywhere. And seen the power of God in operation through somebody that had nothing. All I had was a heart that says, I'll go. And with the calling, the pastor knows this, comes the gifting. With the calling. And I remember when I first started to preach, I, the doors started to open. They'd be introducing me and I'd be dry heaving in the bathroom. <laughs> Boom. You know, I can't do this. I can't, and I would get up and speak. The first time I ever preached in my life, there were 21 people in the room. And they were all like uh, people in a halfway house that were out of prison. And there were 21 in the room. And I only went because the guy I was supposed to go couldn't go. I went at the last minute, and 20 of them gave their lives to Christ. It was, I, was, I was more surprised than they were. <laughs> Whom shall I send? So here we are in the year that Uzziah died. Here we are at a time when America is in a death rattle. Our society is breaking down at every conceivable level. Our children are confused. Absolute perverts have taken over our school systems. And the Lord is saying, who will go? And whom shall I send? You know, the interesting thing is, I've been invited back to that church to preach. I have an open invitation. I'm going to back there in a couple of months. Wow. They don't know I was ever there. Oh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start my message by saying, it's so great to be back here again. <laughs> I've traveled the world since the last time I was here, and I've seen hundreds of thousands of people saved. It's been an amazing journey. But let me tell you where it began. Wow. Yeah. And you know, you know what I want to do is I want to go kneel at that altar again. Wow. And I want to give the last tithe of my life to the Lord. And whatever he chooses to do in this last season, let him do it. May I never say no to him. May I walk through every door that he opens. No matter what it, and no matter what it is going to personally cost. I've decided to go all the way with God as much as he gives me the strength to do it. And I want to encourage you tonight. If you feel that strange drawing of God and you can't explain it, don't look at your resume. He doesn't want it. Because if you're looking at your resume, then he has to spend all this time helping you to get over yourself. (laughs) Think about Moses. He knew what he was called to do. He knew what he was being raised for, but he just overshot his skis and headed out ahead of God. And it took 40 years in the wilderness for God to get him to the place where he was no longer eloquent in speech. He no longer had an army behind him. He had no longer influence in Pharaoh's court. All he had was a a stick and a one-line sermon. And he was so weak he couldn't deliver the one-line sermon. He needed his brother to deliver it. Isn't that amazing? Just let my people go that they may sacrifice to me in the wilderness. And he needed somebody else to deliver it. But that was the man that God chose. He didn't choose Esther until she felt unlovely and unwanted. 
Esther could have said, oh, I wish you'd have come to me, Mordecai, five years ago when, you know, the king and I were like that. But he hasn't even called me for 30 days. He doesn't desire me anymore. But it was in her place of feeling unlovely. She was now ready to be used. She was now ready to be dependent on the Spirit of God and brought into a place and given wisdom that only God could give. Calls Gideon at a time when he's out of resources. <laughs> he just has nothing left. He's, he's hiding in his father's backyard trying to just thresh some wheat for his own family or maybe for his own provision in the future. And he's, he's called of God at the time when he's got nothing left. Now, at the time he calls Hannah at a moment where she's barren. She's, she's done. She can't even pray out loud anymore. Did you know? I don't know if you read that in your Bible, but the Bible says her lips moved and no words came out. Her prayer had no more words. She was so sick of being disappointed. But it was at that point, from a voiceless prayer came a voice that governed the nation for 40 years. And so you go back into Corinthians, you realize, who does the Lord call? You know, too, too many times we've been looking for some new superstar in the body of Christ when it's you. It's you. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah was given a commission to go to a very, very stubborn generation that had hardened their hearts against God. I get that. But the Lord told him, it seems to be, he said, I'll give you a tenth for your effort. In other words, it's a type in a sense of, I'll give you one soul for every ten you speak to. But that's also ten for every hundred. That's a hundred for every thousand. It's a thousand for every ten thousand. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. And so I've just come to the end. I've just preached what already happened here in the service. The strange drawing is of, of young and old. There's no excuse by age. You can't say I'm too old because God won't buy that. You can't say I'm unlovely. You won't buy that. I'm uneducated. doesn't matter to him. I'm too weak. He doesn't care because it's not your strength that he needs. It's your heart. I have no skill set. You don't need one because what he's going to call you to do is not within your, your purview of your skill anyway. It doesn't matter. He's going to give you what you need to do what you're called to do. I think it's time for the church to be supernatural again. I think it's time for us to... Yeah. Yeah. Folks, in the book of Acts, there was 120 failures. Everyone there knew they had failed. All the braggers are not bragging anymore. All the people that said they loved him like John had all run. Everybody knows they can't do this in their own strength. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. The commission is given to them. And they come out of the upper room. And what were they doing? They were declaring in known languages the wonderful works of God. That's what it says in the Greek. It, they were declaring the wonderful works of God. In other words, this is who God is. This is what God does. This is what God is going to do. Wow. And people were coming home from their daily religious activity, just looked and said, whoever their God is, I want that to be my God. And 3,000 in one day bent their knee to God. We need to be a supernatural people again, but we have to realize that only by the Spirit of God is this going to happen. And so I want to give another altar call. Because I've seen the young people here, but where's the old guys and girls? Well, guys are old. Girls never get old. We all know that. Girls never get <laughs> But don't say I can't. What I, I would have been a, such a... There would have been such a moment missed when David Wilkerson introduced me if I'd have stayed in my seat. So, no, you've made a mistake. It's not me. I got no word. 
What will be missed if you don't respond? Who will not be in heaven if you don't speak? Who will never know the power of God if you don't let the power of God lift you, carry you? Let's keep it real simple. He hasn't changed. His ways don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't know about you, but I'm going right to the finish line. I'm going to run this thing right to the end of the race by the grace of Almighty God. And Lord willing, let's take hundreds of thousands with us. If not millions of people, let's take them with us. So I want to just call to this altar everybody. All the weak, the addicted, the marginalized, the afflicted, the nobodies and the nothings of this church world. Here am I. That's your only prayer. Send me. Here am I, Lord. I'll go. And don't look in the mirror because that's not where your strength is. Don't go home and look in a drawer for a diploma. That's not where your strength is. It's in a surrendered heart. God, just send me. And don't let me limit you, Lord. Don't let me limit what you want to do. Hallelujah. 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 I'd like to sing that song again. You know, we need to move. But change it to we need to move. Okay? Just change that one word. God's already moved. Now we need to move. We need to move towards him. We need to do the Isaiah thing and say, all right, I'll go. I'll go. If you can use nothing, here am I. Father, I just want to thank you tonight, God. It, it, it has been a marvelous life. If it ended tomorrow in my life, I have no regrets. I've walked with you, Lord. I've served you. I've seen your miracles. I've watched you stop civil wars. I've seen you move the hearts of kings, God. I've, I've watched you do what only you can do. And you took a young man who was just filled with anger. I had nothing to give to the kingdom of God, little to give to my own family. And you have sent me around the world. And now I've come back to pass the baton, maybe, to these men and women that are here tonight, God. That we would go and we would be the people that you've called us to be. I ask you for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. With the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I ask you, Lord, that you would plant a faith so deep in every heart that all things would become possible. Like a child on Christmas morning, there would be just this wonderment, this absolute wonderment of the incredible blessings of God. The wonderful life that you have for each of us, God, if we yield to you. Oh, Jesus. Would you surprise us? Would you surprise us with what you have for each of us here in this room? Would you confound our enemies? Would you confound the skeptics, Lord? Who tried to convince us that we're going to amount to nothing in this world. Would you confound every devilish voice, every demon of hell, every power of darkness that's tried to keep us in bondage? We are the people of God. We are the testimony of God in the earth. We are the church of the living Christ. We bear in these bodies the third person of the Godhead. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. You tell us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. To the tearing down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Oh God, give us a warrior's heart. Give us hearts of faith. Make us an exceeding great army, oh God, that cannot be resisted. As you've done to nations in the past, do for us as your people, as your church, Lord. God, may all they be able to say about us is that we have been with Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.